latest from Scotston. This is Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors' official podcast. Hello and welcome back to Warriors Weekly. I'm your host, Glasgow Warriors media manager, Duncan Seller. And today, sitting across from me via Zoom, is one of the unsung heroes of the club, I'd say. Someone who makes sure our players are ready to step onto the pitch every weekend and also tries to make sure they're walking off it afterwards. Jen Sweeting. Jen, how are you? Good, thanks, Duncan. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, before we jump into things, can you let the listeners know what your job title is and where you sit as part of uh, our medical team? So I'm the team physio at Glasgow Warriors. Uh, so I work alongside uh, four other physios and a doctor within the medical team. Mm-hmm. And is, so is everybody in the physio team a team physio or do each of you have kind of slightly different roles? So each of us have slightly different roles. Um, so Andy Bogues, our clinical lead in the team, and then I work alongside Francesco, um, who's another team physio. And we've got Christina, who's one of the junior physios, and Brian, who is the academy physio that works with us. Right. Okay. Okay. And, and before we jump into things, um, the first week on this ep- on this season of Warriors Weekly, we had Ryan Wilson on. Ryan Wilson kind of talks a little bit about club culture uh, and initiations and things players have to do when they first join the club. Now, as a physio, is there anything that you have to do? Do you get brought up in front of the whole the squad and have to introduce yourself and tell an interesting fact? Do you have to do something around the, the backroom staff? Is there anything like that? Um, I think we get off quite lightly actually uh, so we did have to stand up and say a wee bit about ourselves last year when we joined because we all basically came really together as a, as a new team um, under the last year of Dave Rennie so uh, we did stand up and give a wee bit about ourselves and I managed to sneak out of the new sing song. So, I was, I was going to mention that because it was, it was Zebra Away was your first away game wasn't it and generally uh, staff have to stand up and right. sing a song but I think you somehow managed to dodge it we had myself standing up with John Diel I think it was his first away game he had to sing a song <laughs> but somehow you managed to just skip past it and avoid it I just smile sweetly and sit there quietly <laughs> <laughs> do you have would you have a go-to song if you were asked now put on the spot I think that was one of the things you were kind of racking your brain to find a song to sing Oh, would I? No, this is a problem. I don't think I do have a go-to song. Dolly Parton, maybe, 9 to 5. 9 to 5, classic. classic. I, <laughs> I feel like as a physio, surely you're not working 9 to 5. I think you guys work a lot longer hours than that. Uh, yeah, a few more hours than that. Yeah. <laughs> I often didn't want to show up my age in that group. I'd be racking songs from the 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a few of the guys could have sung along with you. A few of the older ones. <laughs> a few of the older ones, maybe. <laughs> So we've brought you on this week for a whole host of reasons. Um, I think it's great to be able to peel back kind of the curtain and let people know what's going on um, yeah, behind the scenes at, um, at Scottsdale and kind of what everybody, you know, in all their different roles do and how it kind of all works together to basically result in getting a team out on the pitch on the weekend. Um, but it's also Women and Girls and Sport Week um, this whole week from the 24th to the 30th of October. So I also wanted to chat to you about your role and kind of how you got into it as a, as a woman working in, I don't want to say a male-dominated environment because I don't know if, I guess it's male dominated in the fact that there are 50 male rugby players on the pitch. Um, but I guess, in a, in, a, I guess in a male environment. So getting into this role, like I'm assuming you went into a degree in physiotherapy. Is that kind of the starting point I should be asking you about? Or Yeah, so I did my undergrad degree in Edinburgh um, at Queen Margaret. And from there, uh, once I'd qualified, I was working in the hospitals, but I'd also started working with some of the, it was National 3 at that point, National 3, uh, so relatively uh, kind of less experienced um, club teams. Yep. Um, and a wee bit of time with Watsonians over there and just really enjoyed 
enjoyed the type of work it was. I enjoyed at that point the kind of social aspect that it brought, getting to meet lots of people, getting to meet their families. Um, and so that's kind of where it started. Mm-hmm. Um, and was it a goal from day one to go into to, to sport at some point or when you started to become a physio, when you actually signed up to do the degree? I, I, was um, professional sport on the radar? Do you know what? It absolutely wasn't. So I, um, through my university degrees, my, the placements I enjoyed most was intensive care. Right, okay. So really kind of sick respiratory um, patients and had an excellent placement at the Western in Edinburgh working with people with head injuries um, and the intensive care there. Loved it and that's what I thought I was going to do and that's what I did do for a wee while. Um, I also had a really, really bad musculoskeletal placement and I thought I'm never going to work in sport. So really? <laughs> yeah. So it's funny how things work out over time. Yeah. Um, I just went full circle and kind of found myself in sport a few years later and um, that's where I've been for the last 13 years. So... <laughs> So when you actually went into that, that first role down, down in National 3, was that voluntary or was that, was that still paid kind of thing? And that was just kind of how you worked away in it. Because I, I find almost anyone you speak to who works in professional sport, there's, there's a, certainly a long journey they've been on to actually get into the role where they're actually working full time for a pro sports team because it's so competitive. Yeah, absolutely. That was um, paid to a kind of very, very basic level, just a kind of gesture to thank me for putting um, time in for clinics a couple of times a week in Saturday games. Um, but absolutely have done a lot of other voluntary work um, around rugby physio, but also around other sports. Just it's good to get kind of a skill, build up a skill in other areas. So, um, you know, I've worked in martial arts and I've worked in hockey and various other things voluntarily. Um, and from there, I actually went to New Zealand and the initial work I did in New Zealand at the weekends was also um, rugby, but on a voluntary basis. So it got me... Right you know, it's, it's doing that and working hard that got me the opportunity in New Zealand to then go work with the ITM Cup mm-hmm. and kind of build from there. So, so, um, so you, got to, you got to New Zealand, you did the ITM Cup. So how did you get from the ITM Cup now to working in Glasgow? Or is, what were the jobs along the way? Um, so worked, so worked um, some Lions development stuff in Wellington, which was um, kind of ITM development and then did um, Manawa 2 as the lead there and used to spend a wee bit of time just popping down to Hurricanes and did some work with um, New Zealand Rugby Union around um, some research-based work and some work with the Highlanders, some research-based work there. And just through that, it got to a time when I decided I was going to come back to Scotland and the jobs had just come up in the Scottish Rugby Academy. So it was a new setup where they'd set up the four different academies across Scotland to try and bring a bit more, um, sort of allow people to access the academies right throughout the whole country. And so from there, I came back and took the lead role at the Edinburgh Academy. Okay. Um, spent four years there and then from there moved over to Glasgow. So I didn't realise you'd been in New Zealand. That was a lot of almost name dropping, I think, with all those different clubs that you'd been at across there. I didn't realise that you'd done all of that. Um, yeah, so I was in New, uh, New Zealand for five years and oh, that's... Okay worked with um, Jason Halloran so that was one of the attractions to coming to Warriors was he was there as a backs coach at the time and he'd been the head coach I'd worked with in New Zealand and I knew a lot about the kind of culture at Warriors and the kind of you know which always you know people talk about it being a very positive um, positive aspect of Glasgow Warriors so I knew firsthand what a good place it would be to work and that's kind of what made me make the move from the east to the west so right okay okay yeah. and I feel like 
I've got a few friends that are physios and when you seem to speak to them, at least when they were at university, they seem to be on the weekends going away and doing lots of extra courses and topping up, doing bits and bobs, whether that's like uh, massage or strapping and all that kind of stuff. I feel like there must be like 101 different qualifications that you can do as a physio, just kind of extra add-ons. Like if I was to look you up on LinkedIn right now, would you be Jen Sweeting with about a thousand letters after you because you've done all these little extra courses or? <laughs> oh, I try not to put too many letters after my name. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's, um, there is, that's the exciting thing about physios as well, there being so many different areas, of, you know, including sport, but lots away from sport. Once you find your speciality, there's always, there's always things to be doing. Um, you know, people all, all get different qualifications in different areas to continue just to have more um, strings to their bow, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And are, are there, are there, I guess, for if somebody was listening to this and wanting to become a physio, are there certain key, key courses that you think somebody should do if they want to move into pro sport? Um, yeah. So the biggest thing, so it's funny because this is one of the questions I get when I do, I do a wee bit of lecturing through Queen Margaret in Edinburgh and Napier. Mm-hmm. And they're always, there's always questions of how do I get into pro sport? And one of the things I say to them is take time to work in the hospitals first, get your general skills up. Um, you know, learn about your respiratory and your neuro because every time we see a player, there's never just one thing wrong with them. So you need to know, you know, all the body systems. You need to be not too specialist too quickly, otherwise you don't do your job well. So right. that's absolutely what I encourage people to do is take a bit of time initially. So I was in the hospital for five years before I came into kind of sport full time. Mm-hmm. Um, the best thing I've done. Um, so really. Yeah, to allow me to have the skills to recognise the weird and wonderfuls that we still get in rugby or the things that are not just bone and joint issues. So mm-hmm. absolutely, that's what I'd tell people to do. Yeah. This was a question I was actually going to ask you later on, but maybe it fits in here. I, I feel like as a physio with players, a lot of the time you have to have difficult conversations with them. You have to tell them that maybe they've got an injury that's going to be a lot longer or maybe their rehab hasn't gone as well as possible. Like, do you think it's almost better to do that first when you're in a hospital, when you don't have that same kind of relationship with the player, like with, with the patient? Because I, I feel like with players and physios, you guys, you get to know them so well, you know, working in an environment that you're around each other the whole time. You, you understand that person and you, you know a lot more about their backstory and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think... Some, being able to have difficult conversations with um, somebody as a physio is something that you is a key skill that people develop the longer that they've worked and I definitely say just in the last even five years that's something that I feel has been a real work on for me um, I think it all comes down to the relationship you've got with the players so if you've got a good relationship with them they trust you the trust's there yeah um, you know so then we do deliver you know bad news or not ideal news frequently but it's how you deliver that and you know the plan that you've got in place to make things better and how you involve the player with that so mm-hmm. um I don't find that particularly challenging now now I've learned ways to deliver difficult information to people yeah um but of course every every situation is different depending on what your relationship is like with that specific player mm-hmm. of course yeah and does it ever feel like it's a never-ending cycle uh, or, 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 or is it like, or do you see it as a new challenge every time somebody, maybe not somebody gets injured, but it's a new challenge every time somebody comes, comes to you and is looking for some kind of help and support? Uh, well, I think that depends if it's a good day or a bad day that I'm having. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's a challenge. It's a, um, right, okay, how do we get this person back to performance level as quickly as possible? On a bad day, it is a bit like, oh, and another one, because it is in rugby, a continual cycle, the nature of the game 
probably one of the busiest sports you can work in because it's contact and the injuries pick up now are alike to car crashes with the force that goes on on the pitch. So, you know, we do, we're, you know, it would be relatively unusual to, to play a game and not come away with some injuries. And in saying that, we've, you know, played the last five and not had any significant injuries. So it makes you think what's, you know, what's waiting for us. What's coming. Because, yeah, because our injury list right now, like, you contrasting looking at Edinburgh right now, I think they're they're really struggling right now. I think they've had seven or eight players who are out injured. And you look at our injury list, and I think we've got two, maybe three guys on that list, which yeah. for me is just so surprising. Like, it's something that I guess I haven't really seen in my time here. Yeah, it's, um, this is probably, I mean, we've had patches last year like this. So this is the kind of best I'll get. I've not known there to ever be no um, players who are out with more significant injuries. But I've also known a time when we've been up at 10, 11, 12, yeah, which is a huge amount of pressure on the return to play team to try and get folk scheduled and seen and turned around to the standard that we want to do our jobs. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't envy you guys at that. Yeah, sometimes when you when you just see the list, you're like wow. And I, I'm assuming again, like the team doesn't grow whether you've got three people or, or or 15 people injured. You guys are still working on that same amount of people. So there must be times where it just becomes, it does become non-stop, doesn't it? Because you're trying to fit everybody into a day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, we don't suddenly magic up money to replace players that are out injured, so there's always a pressure there to turn people around. And for whatever reason, it always seems to be multiple injuries in the same positions, whether that's tight heads or whether it's back rows, or I don't know whether that just seems to be the way the rugby world works. But um, just to add another level of pressure, but yeah, you know, you're constantly just looking at you know when we can get them back in their best you know, form as quickly as possible to allow them to integrate back into the team. Yeah. And is, do, do you as a group team of physios specialise in certain positions, like forwards and backs and stuff like that? Or like, like I always wonder, like, I'm assuming props generally have more back issues and maybe like wingers have more hamstring issues. So are there certain people that deal with certain things or, or how does that kind of work as a team dynamic? Um, so positionally, yeah, you sometimes you can pick out patterns across kind of World Rugby's data on, you know, as you say, back three, potentially more hamstring injuries, although that's not necessarily been the way it's gone in the last year or so. Um, so I wouldn't say that we, we specialise particularly in positions of players, but we definitely have our kind of strengths around what we offer to the team. So, you know, I, I love shoulders. It's something I worked on in New Zealand for a long time. You know, I love rehabbing shoulders and assessing shoulders, working with the consultants in Edinburgh. But Edinburgh and Glasgow um, but again somebody like Francesco brings a completely different skill mix to me and I think that's why the team works the team that we've got just now works so well because we are all very different so very different personalities very different skill mixes with regards to physio as well mm-hmm. is, so, is there is there something that you wouldn't ever want to work on that you, you'd want to give away to somebody else that's just yours like nah I'd I, I, or even a position maybe <laughs> is, there, um, is there a position of players are the props always the worst to deal with and you you, you just pan them off to somebody else at all or <laughs> No, I mean, you definitely, there's certain, there's obviously some strong personalities in the squad. Um, but I always look that look at that as a challenge that you need to get on with the player that you're working with to be able to rehab them and get the best out of them. So you've got yeah. common ground with them. So it might be somebody that you just happen to have not had a huge amount to do with or somebody that's quite different from you. But I just look on that as, all right, this is my opportunity to build a relationship with this player while they're with me for over four weeks. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of view it that way. Um, and it's nice, it's, you, you know, that's how you get to know the players is once you've spent time with them, having had an injury, you've spent more time with them, you get to know them better. So, you know, that's a positive out of a particularly negative situation. Yeah. And then I'm assuming it as well, then, if you get to know a player quite well, when they actually do get back on the pitch, I'm sure there is a kind of a, 
a sense of relief isn't the right word to use just a sense of satisfaction isn't it and just happiness both both for you guys to to manage to get him back on the pitch but to get that player who whose job and who probably wants to be back playing is actually now back playing again yeah absolutely I mean that's the best bit about it is seeing the back and in the team um you know as players at the weekend that we'd had in our, our return to play group recently that um we're back and returning from injury and it's for the hard work that they put in um, and the ups and downs that, you know, injuries bring, it's great to see them back. Yeah. Yeah, so. Is, is, there a, is there a point, like, if you've got a player and they've come back and, you know, they come back onto the pitch and they score a try or something like that, is there a little part of you that just has to just kind of, like, clench the fist? Just, yes, we've done it. We've done it. We've got them there. <laughs> yeah, well, we always have a bit of a joke in the medical team. I'll ask the players what they're going to do. If, if we've had a player that's worked with us for quite a long time, we'll ask them what they're going to do when they score a try. And make sure it involves one of us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they ever actually follow through on that, though. <laughs> no, I think they get caught up in the moment, don't they? <laughs> yeah. And and so, like, if I was, for me personally, or like, if you're a member of the general public and you go see a physio, you get diagnosed, and then they send you home with a list of exercises to do, and you've got to do them three to five times a day. And and you, and at least me personally, you know, I manage maybe manage to remember to do them once every two days or whatever, like that. Yeah. So with with the players, is it the same thing or? Are you guys much more hands-on? Are you there taking them through their exercises all the time, holding them accountable? Or what is that kind of difference, I guess, between pro sport and then, I guess, working with the general public? I think probably the biggest difference that's always a real positive for us is the motivation that these guys come with. Like, they're not in that environment without a huge level of motivation to want to play and remain fit. So unlike some of the general public that are having to chivvy along, we're often having to be a bit of a handbrake, trying right. just have a balance so that they're not pushing too hard um but it's easier to pull somebody back than it is to have to push them so you know that's that's one of the really positives about this job is that you just they are they're just hugely motivated people to work with um but yeah we'll do you know we will do some hands-on work but definitely the kind of uh, exercise-based rehab stuff is what makes the biggest difference in my opinion um you know with some other aspects like some hands-on facilitating that and we'll work with the strength and conditioning team really closely. Um, we'll be in the gym when they're lifting their weights. We'll kind of teach them how to lift their weights early on alongside the strength and conditioning team. And we'll see them right through to the return to play. So running sessions, speed sessions. Um, when you're working with injured players, you've got to have quite a broad skill mix. You've got to be able to be confident, take a player from injury right through to back on the pitch. But of course, mm-hmm. we've got the luxury of having the strength and conditioning team and specifically Tom, who's at RTP Strength and Conditioning, a member of staff to help us. So that works really well. Yeah. And, and you were saying that the guys are really motivated. Obviously, you're going to have to pull them back at times. But I'm assuming as well with motivated players and with the internet age, do you ever get players that are like researching things and coming to you with ideas that they've seen somewhere in the depths of the internet on a way that they can rehab and get back to, back to fitness quicker? Have you ever had a guy like pitching you all, oh, there's a crystal healing that we could do to sort out my yeah. chakras or anything like that? Absolutely. And I've got one in particular just now who, who's, you know, and I will go and research things. I see that as a real positive. I ask the players to, you know, chat to me if they've got any suggestions, chat to me if there's anything they feel is missing from the rehab or that they want to do, you know, chat to me about elements of the rugby they want to bring in. If they've got any other ideas, I try and keep that a real open communication and like, you know, the players have got to be centered to everything that you do. And it's important that they are happy with, um, their input and you know how things are moving forward so the guys will come in and say oh I've seen this on LinkedIn and you know 
what, what do you reckon about this blood flow for recovery? Or what do you reckon about this ice chamber for recovery or whatever? And it's having a discussion and being open, you know, being open to options and being open mm-hmm. to that you may not have heard of that you can research, you know. Yeah. Is there external resources that we can use that we don't have immediately in front of us? You know, there's sprint coaches that we've been looking to use more recently, one of our injured players. Um, you know, just continue, yeah, have an open mind because the guys will come to you. They're, they're so desperate to get back as quickly as they can that they will be out there looking at what else they could possibly throw at it. Mm-hmm. So on the flip side, you know, I often say to them, trust the process, trust what we've got down here. It's working, you know, look at the gains you've made, look at the goals you've met, look at where you come from, just hang in there, just, you know, everything's going in the right direction. Throwing too much at one thing is not necessarily a good thing. So it's kind of trying to take a measured approach with the with the guys, but definitely being open to hearing what they've got to say. Yeah. Have you had, what is, without naming names, what is the most kind of harebrained idea you've had? Have you had anybody just pitch something that's just totally ridiculous that you've had to just shut down and go, no, come on? Um, nothing that's ridiculous. Things that are definitely new to me. So obviously at Glasgow, we've got a lot of people who come from different cultures. Yep. Healthcare ideas, um, you know, different different things that they've tried in the past coming from different countries. And I think it's definitely being, you know, open to hearing that because we don't know everything. We don't always get it right in Scotland. And, you know, something from a different country might not be such a bad idea. So, you know, you do hear sometimes things that you think, really? Um, But actually, yeah, again, worth listening to them, worth listening to what is normal for them and what has worked in the past. Mm -hmm. Is, can you give any examples without naming names at all? Um, oh, can I give any examples without naming names? Or does it become too obvious? Probably becomes a bit too obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Def- I would definitely say, um, cu- yeah, culturally, so different the Southern Hemisphere teams, uh, players from the Southern Hemisphere will sometimes have some other options of what's worked for them in the past that might be might be new to us. And again, it's that's that's good. It's good to hear what's worked in the past, and it's good to, to be able to see if we can, you know, facilitate things that work and they find that work for them. But yeah, yeah there'll be things that are new to me. Very so. diplomatic. Very diplomatic. <laughs> and and of course, it's it's not just return to play. Obviously, you guys deal with. It's also just players that are fit that you know need things like strapping, uh, keeping continuing on with rehab once they're actually back out playing again, and um, on field treatments as well. How would you say your workload kind of balances between? actually doing kind of the return to play guys, the longer term injured guys, and then just kind of keeping the guys that are already on the pitch fit and good to go. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm really, really lucky in the job I do because I'm one of two physios that manages the longer term injuries. So I get that and I also do get the team physio work or during the games and just the main squad work. Mm-hmm. So get, you know, really basic things or really easy things to turn around or just acute things that only last a couple of days. So it's a real mix. Um, depends on what's happening no two weeks are the same yeah. some weeks I feel like I'm doing 80% return to play long-term injuries and 20% you know main squad and other weeks it completely flips so again that's what keeps the job quite interesting and it means that you've got a, got to keep a good skill mix to be able to do everything yeah and I like the way we run that at Glasgow because some other places you go you'll only be the return to play physio or you'll only be the pitch side physio and I think the risk with that is that your skills you lessen your skills in certain areas yeah Whereas we, between us, I feel strike a good balance of keeping everybody's skill mix up. Right. Okay. So, and, and you and you mentioned there working the games. So so how much of a game do you actually see? And f- for me, 
being from the media side, a lot the, the game for me is punctuated by the scores because that's the point that I have to spring into action and work. For you, when when a game finishes, is your game punctuated by scores or is it punctuated by injuries? The guys that you've dealt with, absolutely by injuries. So if yeah. you were to ask me at any point in the game if I wasn't able to look at the scoreboard, what the score was, I'd have no idea. Yeah, uh, whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know. But you're too busy following the players, following the heaps of bodies. You know, you're always a step behind almost a step behind what's going on because you're always aligned with do you know where the heap of bodies are have they all got up okay they're all okay right where's the play moved to yeah and obviously you've got physio on each side so between us we're able to keep an eye on where the plays moved to and what's happening do you know just before that when everyone's still on the ground yeah you are you you're, you're too busy watching that so i mean we will pass on the odd rugby message that comes through the radio but um, our, particularly Danny uses you know, his coaching team to do that more which allows us to focus on what the players are doing on the pitch and spend a whole game either tracking people who you know are playing with some low level niggles or people who have picked things up on you know, during the game that you're wanting just to make sure are going okay so your mind is really busy the whole time I think that's yeah. what you know, game day each one of us like including yourself have got completely different roles so our minds yeah. are really busy but with what our role is yeah. um, yeah, so, so like, so I'm guessing then if there's like a mall try and the mall goes over and then everyone's just on top of each other, you're not celebrating that try. You're just kind of keeping your fingers crossed, hoping that whoever's at the bottom of that mall is getting back up, aren't you? Absolutely. You're just you're just standing there, just waiting right next to you know where everybody's sit, stand, you know where the mall is, just waiting to see if everyone's getting up because you know more often than not there's somebody at the bottom of the heap that isn't getting up as quickly as you want them to. So yeah, um, yeah, you do. You almost you almost miss the fun bits of a game. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. I bet. I guess. But then, what? I, I'm assuming well, you ce- you celebrate the wins the same as we do. But do you sometimes, ce- as a physio team, do you celebrate the small wins when all the players walk off the pitch? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to hide that. Of course, the biggest thing is for the team to get a win, um, and that benefits everybody involved. But each, I think, each area probably has their own wee wins, and ours are, you know, things like have the people who've returned to play returned to play successfully and got through the game well and got through the next six weeks fine do you know have we picked up any significant injuries on the pitch have we made the right calls through the week when we've turned people around really quickly um do you know all these you know smaller things have our communication as a medical team been good because again things like that are disappointing if the comms between the you know myself the other physio and the doctor haven't been as good as we would have liked them to be then you know things like that aren't good so it's all these things you know you know we came off the pitch on saturday and doc said comms comms really good tonight yeah things like that are small wins for us but ultimately like everybody else we need to see the games being won yeah yeah and and because you guys you guys are all mic'd up and and i guess you're still on the same channel as the coaches and you kind of hinted at it there that sometimes that you're actually wearing a different hat you're not being a physio sometimes you're you are giving coaching messages or or relaying tactics aren't you as well yeah, I mean, again, it depends on the coach to how often that happens. Some use you a lot, some don't. But I think the boys know if I'm passing on a message that's not come from me. Yeah. <laughs> <upstairs>. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm assuming as well, like, obviously, you know, the the names of things like moves and plays and stuff like that are so obscure and niche. that I'm sure sometimes they're like they're relaying things to you to then relay to a player and you're sitting there going, hang on, does this make any sense what I'm trying to tell this person? Yeah, absolutely. So I always say to the coaching team, happy to pass on messages, but can you just be very clear because they don't make sense often even in a normal English sentence no. or you know, they're not words that you would commonly use or whatever. So you kind of think, oh, I've heard that right. But these are the things you kind of learn at training as well. Yeah. Um, make sure that you can relay the messages clearly. But um, 
yeah, I just literally pass on exactly what comes through the radio. I don't try and put any of my own slant on it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to pivot into a coaching role later, later down the line, no? Absolutely not. <laughs> and then also, like, when you're mic'd up, you're talking about kind of like good communication and at the end of the game when the doc says, right, that was really good communication. How does that all kind of work for you guys? Because I'm sometimes, I've got radio sometimes in my ear just to hear when substitutions are happening. But you guys kind of have like a red, amber, green system, don't you, when you're assessing a player on the pitch and providing updates to, to I guess, everyone. So the coaches, the, the team manager, the SNC staff, everybody, aren't you? Yeah, so, I mean, that's one of the things I think people develop a bit more slowly as the comms on the pitch because it's quite different from any other area of physio that you work in and it's so important that it's accurate because you're all on one channel and ultimately the coaches are wanting to know do as a player fit to continue or not and it sounds like a really easy call to make but when you've got all the external pressures of a game environment going on you need to be able to have your head you know in the right place and really focus on what's going on so yeah we work on a so if somebody's gone down, one, one physio goes on. If they stay down, another member of the medical team joins them. So you've got somebody to assess and somebody to do the communication. Mm-hmm. So that works really well pairing up. And because we're all so familiar with working with each other now, it's just it's a very smooth process. And we obviously will say a player's name and then we'll say assessing just so the coaches know that who the player is that's down because they can't always see as clearly. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we are assessing them, we don't have an outcome yet. And then we'll let them know whether it's red, so they need to be removed, or whether it's amber, that they're staying on, but we're keeping an eye on them, mm-hmm. or whether it's green, that we're absolutely happy they're fit to continue. So yeah. that's of it. And it, it, it works really well because it's short and sharp, um, and it gets the message to the coaches. Yeah. And how often do you get somebody that's amber? I feel like amber's pretty rare, is it? Or... Yeah, amber's actually relatively rare. Um, we might have one in every three or four games it's just the ones that were like okay we're happy with them just now but we need to see them back and performing again so you know it might be like they've got a stinger we're happy they've got the range and their and their strength back but we need to see them going back into tackles and being happy with everything otherwise there's no point in them being on the pitch if they can't perform so yeah. that's saying we're still tracking them keeping an eye on them we might go back onto the pitch and then we'll just say to the coaches green green if we're then happy that we've gone back on reassessed and they're good to go Right, okay. And I'm guessing you, you must really get to know the guys and work out who is just needing to take a breather or who will just in a minute will shake it off and go and, and who, who, is, who will only go down if it is really severe. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what the biggest challenge was for the medical team that was new last year was that we weren't as familiar with the players as we would have liked. So every player's got their kind of quirks or their, their way of doing things. And once you learn that, you know when you absolutely know when you should be concerned and when you shouldn't be concerned. So people looking from the outside in maybe think sometimes, why are they not more concerned about that player? But we know that that's just the way that player reacts. You know, he, he will go down and he'll take his time to get up and he'll consistently do that. Some of our front rows are like that. They're slow to get up every time. And we know that. Mm-hmm. Um, we know exactly what we're looking for with certain players that would be a concern to us and, and things that are just like, that's just what the player does. Yeah. Um, so, the, you know, the biggest thing is, or the most helpful thing I would say is knowing, knowing your players when it comes to injuries or doing the pitch side stuff. Yeah. And so, so we've just changed coaches and, you, and you've kind of already mentioned there that coaches use you maybe slightly differently, but, but does a changing coach, and we had Sam Johnson on, he was talking about how a changing coach, obviously there's a change in place, but does a changing coach impact your job at all? Um, yeah, absolutely. So different coaches like um, 
particular communication around injuries done differently, like updates in different formats at different times. Some coaches have been more involved with injury information. Others aren't interested really until the players, you know, fit to return to the pitch. Yep. Um, so Andy does a lot of the communication with Danny and then um, he's been spending the last couple of months just working with Danny to work out what works best, you know, what gets the outcome for the management team now. And that's going really well. So, yeah. Uh, and obviously you guys work across, you've kind of, you've, we've already talked about it there, but you work across pretty much every department. When you think about it, like you're working with SNC, you're working with the coaches, you're working across the medical just to kind of get everybody across the line. So is there a lot of meetings or? Um, we work particularly close with strength and conditioning team. Yeah. So on a week that's running, you know, to normal, uh, to a normal schedule. So without kind of COVID interfering with things, we'd meet with the strength and conditioning team every morning. So we would yeah. do assessment of our players strength and conditioning team would have been in and had time to, to chat with anyone they had any concerns about and then we'd catch up as a group and go through um any concerns about players any modifications in training you know any anything different from the week that we were expecting so they're definitely the group that we we meet with the most um, yeah so okay yeah. and i obviously i hinted at, at the start of the show that this is uh women and girls sport week so being a woman in what is, I guess, a kind of a male-dominated environment, you know, there are 23 guys on a game day or maybe 50 players during the week that are all males that you're kind of, you're working with. I'm assuming there are some pros and cons to being a female working in that environment. Now, obviously, with COVID, it's a little bit different, but prior to COVID, if you were the only female travelling, you got your own room, didn't you? So that must yeah. be a pro. <laughs> That's definitely positive. <laughs> but are there some other pros and cons? Are there any that jump um, to spring to mind? Yeah, there's definitely pros and cons. I mean... I find the environment easy, easy to work in. I think that, yeah, it depends on your physio skills, but also depends on your personality as to where, you know, what kind of environment you fit in. And I think that's just with any sort of work across the world. Yep. So I never find it um, particularly challenging. For want of a better word, I enjoy the banter in the most part. Like, you know, the guys are good fun. They're, they're you know, good folk. The team is a good team. Um, and I think the team's what makes it. The team's what makes it easy. The culture at Glasgow um, makes it a very easy place for me to work. Um, so yeah, I, I you know I don't I don't even notice. I genuinely I don't notice if I'm travelling that I'm the only female there. It doesn't. Yeah. It's just not an issue. Um, but equally, having had longer stints at work, I'm definitely keen to catch up with friends, female friends, over a cup of tea and just have a slightly different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely get to that point when I'm yeah seeking out female friends just to chill out and catch up with and you know pass the time of day with because conversations are are yeah different yeah but it's it's also it's a non-stop work environment isn't it professional sport like we were talking just before this started and it was mute your phones and it was okay I'll mute both my phones my personal and my work <laughs> phone because you're going to get called at all hours of the day and night by coaches and, and managers and stuff like that so it's just nice to switch off as well isn't it yeah absolutely I think the um, working in elite sport one of the things that will allow you to succeed is being able to have a bit of a work-life balance, which is extremely difficult to get. And while I've never, I don't feel I've ever got it right, I think I recognise the importance of time away from work and yeah. um, a bit of a break, because if you take that, then you do your job so much better and you're just a better person to work with. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's good to recognise when you need a break and take your breaks for any one of us. So, um, that's a challenge in elite sport. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so so you, you said there, you know, it, it's about switching off as well. And and again, we're kind of talking about women in sport. So 
what do you do to switch switch off? I think we were chatting a wee while ago and you went downhill biking, was it? Or mountain biking you were going for a weekend? What other sports do you do in kind of in your spare time? Yeah, so I'm kind of I like I'm I'm big into the outdoors. So I don't know, I tell people I'm an active relaxer. I'm not um, once I've had a you know busy time at work, I'm out and about um doing things rather than sitting chilling. So a mountain yeah. bike, horse ride, road bike, run, um, hill walk, knocking off some Munros this year. So um, I definitely keep keep myself busy away from work. Um, yeah. It's good for the head, and it's um, yeah, it, it clears your head for getting back into work again. Mm-hmm. Are any of those a potential job later down the line, working in that industry, that elite sports environment? Um, not sure. You know, I do. I would I quite like work. Would quite like to work with mountain bikers. I think it'd be an interesting group to work with. But. Um, you know, I do. I enjoy the rugby, and it's what I've done for so long. It's it's yeah hard to think of what I would do next. Yeah, yeah. So, you talk about car crash injuries from rugby. Surely you're getting even worse from that. You know, from mountain biking and things like that. Some of the speeds they're going down in the trees and things like that they're running into. <laughs> yeah, I reckon so. In a bad mountain biking crash, it could be pretty brutal. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe that's something that would bring up worse injuries in rugby. Although, yeah, it's hard. A new, cha- to- a new challenge for you, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Right. I'm conscious of time, Jen, and I'm conscious you've got to go away and do some, some notes, I think it is, for, from, mm-hmm. from today's kind of physio. So, so before we go, obviously the goal of Women in Sport Week is to inspire and empower women in sport. Um, I'm hoping we've kind of done a bit of that today to help inspire someone to get into professional sport or participate in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And obviously we're talking to you just as, as a physio. Um, but within professional sport and within Glasgow Warriors, you know, there, there are, there's a huge... A, a, a massive variety of roles um, spread across the back room, the front office. Uh, that can well, um, every single role can be done by both sexes. Whether that is a physio like yourself, or whether we've got Ailey, one of our analysts, yeah. um, within the within the front office, we've got Claire who works in marketing. We've got operations staff. We've got sponsorship staff. Um, yeah, it really, you know, any kind of role you can think of within pro sport, it can be certainly done by a male or a female. So before we go. I just want to ask you, um, for anyone that was interested to get into professional sport, and probably for you specifically physiotherapy, what would be your one piece of advice that you would give to them? Oh, one bit of advice to get into pro sport. Um, or some parting words of wisdom, maybe. Is that an easier one? I think it's just, I think it's putting in the hard yards. Like, things in life don't come particularly easy, and you've really got to want it. Mm-hmm. You can work hard for it, and, you know, doesn't matter as you said, if you're male or female, if you're the right fit for that team and can do the job well, then, you know, you, you have, you'll have as good a shout as anybody else. So. Yeah. yeah. I'd echo that hundred percent. I said at the start, like, you know, everyone has a journey to getting here and everyone has a really interesting story where they've worked in a variety of roles, whether that is working for free or working for, for little money or, you know, jumping about between lots of different places to get to where they are. Um, so I'd say the thing, yeah, it's, it's hard work, isn't it? But it's, it's, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. It's fun as well. Absolutely. I mean, you've got to love this job to do it because as I say, the work-life balance is difficult to strike. So um, yeah, you have, you have to love it to want to do this. Yeah. Right. Jen, thank you very much for joining us on Warriors Weekly. Thanks, Duncan. That's great. Cheers.
Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors official podcast.